0: Good afternoon. My name is Allison Steves. Like Chess, I'm a non-practicing lawyer, a member of the Nova Scotia Bar. Thank you. Uh, do you affirm that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? do. Yeah. Thank you. Can you please state your name for the record?
1: Yeah, my name is Chet Chisholm.
0: And Chet, where are you from?
1: I'm from Anaganish, Nova Scotia.
0: And what is your occupation?
1: I am a paramedic, and I've been a paramedic for twelve years.
0: For twelve years?
1: Twelve.
0: And how do you like being a paramedic?
1: Oh, it's the best job in the world, man. Um, it's probably the most, one of the most rewarding professions that you can you can ever work. Like you show up you show up on people's worst day, and like your your goal is to improve it. No one's ever mad that the paramedics show up. Well, some some are, but not many. Um, and like with with everything that's happened, like if I had a lot of friends and colleagues say like, hey, if you could go back and do it all again, would you? And my answer has always been, yeah. I just I'd go back and I'd have done it sooner.
0: So back in March 2020, when we started hearing about COVID, mm-hmm. were you working as a paramedic at that point?
1: Uh, no, I was currently off work. I was off with workers' compensation. Uh, in March of 2019, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, and was placed off on medical leave, awaiting treatment.
0: Were you planning to return to work eventually?
1: Yeah, it was. That was the hope. Um, my uh, like. Uh, mental health team was pretty keen on getting me back to work because I was gung-ho to get into treatment, get back on the trucks, and kind of what was looming on the horizon and the state of EMS in Nova Scotia felt imperative to do so.
0: Did you receive the treatment that you were waiting for?
1: No, I was I was on deck to get what's called EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprogramming, which is often used very well with uh, PTSD. And they see a lot of success with first responders and and veterans. Um, And my first appointment was kind of like the meet and greet uh, appointment and to kind of set up a rapport was the first day of lockdown. So uh, we showed up, we talked about what we were going to do, and that was it. Um, Everything got canned thereafter. And then I was put into limbo and um, wasn't seen again for close to another year because we weren't allowed to have any. In-person appointments, whatsoever.
0: So you did get the treatment after a year?
1: Uh, no, I was I was met. I went from a psychologist to uh, working with a counselor, and we were kind of doing like the prep stages, building the rapport, getting a background of what was going on, and we would kind of things would kind of we get a little bit of momentum, and then they'd say, oh, "Well, you can't meet in person again." EMGR is a in-person thing. And so we'd have to just kind of do talk therapy on the phone and discuss things and uh, talk about stressors. But like we never really got to we never got into a like a groove of things. Um, and it, it kind of was on and off, on and off, on and off, uh, up until um, probably late spring, early summer of 2021, where um, things just kind of got canned again, and I got put back into the wait list and waiting in limbo um, where we continue to sit.
0: And what impact would you say that the delay in this treatment had on you?
1: Um, I've certainly had uh, relapses into some of my PTSD symptoms that I've had previously somewhat under control Um, and not being able to kind of like because you kind of need to do maintenance while you're working through this, and we couldn't do any of that. Um, And, like, being in person and actually being able to connect with somebody and talk about these things and work through it and then actually build to a therapy is incredibly beneficial. There's such a disconnect when it's on the other end of a phone or on a screen. Um, And not only that, but, like, my counselor was getting extremely frustrated because she's like, you are... You are primed and pretty well primed and ready to go. We can get you back on the trucks and get you going. But like this keeps getting in the way. And so we, it's like we always had to keep starting from, from scratch again.
0: So are you still on leave from the same job?
1: Uh, yes, I'm still on leave. Um, and due to the time frame that I've been off um, with our contractual agreement with the union because the clock has ticked down. I've been terminated for my position at EHS.
0: So you're only allowed to be off for so long with an, a, an injury before it, you yeah. become so,
1: terminated. so um, at two years, uh, they'll hold your full-time position for two years. So that time frame ran out, and we'll get into it in a little bit here. Um kind of, that's when, like, we needed to push for this so I don't lose anything else. Uh, and at the three-year mark, you're, you're canned. And that's it. So you lose all your seniority and everything.
0: Do you have reason to believe that had you received the treatment in the time frame it was originally scheduled, you would have returned to work in, in time yeah. to avoid losing your job?
1: Pretty well. Everyone in my mental health team was pretty keen. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure Chet's going to go right back on the trucks. He wants to be there. Um, and like there's been such a high success rate with this with other first responders. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it was looking good. Not so much.
0: So, during the time you were awaiting treatment, did you take the vaccine against COVID-19?
1: Yeah, I. Uh, there was a push for it from our employer, um, and I was initially I declined because I was eligible in December of 2020 and January of 2021 because I was off work, I'm a young guy, pretty healthy. Uh, I said, no thanks, I'll wait. Like if we're gonna give it to anybody, give it to people who are vulnerable and whatnot. I don't need it right now. Uh, But when it became available for people in my age group, for people in their 30s, um, I got my first shot on May 21st. Um, And for the reasons is we work with the most vulnerable people at the most vulnerable point in their life. And um, we are in constantly different clinical situations throughout a shift. You can start your shift in a backseat of a car in a ditch and then you can be in an old folks home then treating a COVID patient and then you could be going into the ICU. It's it's a mixed bag every time you go to work. And so the likelihood that I'm going to get a lot of exposure to COVID is quite high and it's going to be in the back of an ambulance and it's going to be probably right in my face. So um, the, the hope was that this could help mitigate um, cross-exposure amongst vulnerable sectors.
0: So you didn't feel coerced to take
1: you... A- Uh, yes and no. Um, it's a little annoyed with kind of like the push. It's like, hey, you got to do this. You got to do this right now. And, but, um, I was, I wasn't ever angry at the point of, of getting it because like I, if, if it did what they said it did on the tin, um, then that could be beneficial both for myself. Um, but more importantly for the vulnerable people whom we deal with every day.
0: Who administered it to you, do you recall?
1: Uh, it was given to me by an RN, uh, and that was done at one of the local pharmacies in Antigonish.
0: Before taking it, did they advise you of any of the risks?
1: The only risk that we really discussed was the risk of anaphylaxis, because I have food allergies, and so we talked about that. Because, uh, and it's like, hey, just hang around for like, an extra, like, 20 minutes or so just so we can keep an eye on you and i've i've done vaccination clinics for like flu shots and stuff so i know you know the whole ring of morale of hey we're gonna give you this we're gonna we're gonna keep an eye on you and make sure nothing happens and if something happens we'll report it and take care of you
0: and how did you feel after taking it
1: uh initially i felt fine uh, but by that evening i was i was pretty slack um really really tired and i just kind of and i was kind of par for the course for any other vaccines I've gotten for work or school in the past. Um, but w- what kind of really drew attention to some things is uh, I've been dealing with PTSD and crippling insomnia for years at that point, for like two years at that point where I would need to take medication to sleep. And I was went from not sleeping at all to uh, sleeping most of the day, to sleeping probably like 20 hours or more. Um, and then just being incredibly sluggish and getting a little shorter breath here and there. Um, and that kind of escalated over the next few weeks.
0: So those symptoms persisted and increased over yeah. the next few
1: weeks? Yeah. They, um, it started with, um, like incredible fatigue, uh, which led to shortness of breath. And then eventually I would get like a tinge of chest pain when I was laying on my back. Uh, and it ultimately built up to like, I was like, my dad had taken a tree down in the yard and I went out to help him just load a couple chunks of log in like the front of this tractor and, uh, got extremely short of breath, had just, like stabbing chest pain here just left of my sternum, which radiated into my back and told dad, I was like, Hey, I'm like we gotta go to the hospital right now. Something's, something's up. Um, I can't say what, but this, there's something very wrong at the moment and became incredibly diaphoretic, uh, really sweaty and pale as a ghost
0: had you had similar symptoms in the past no so you said you went to the er so you consulted a healthcare provider about these symptoms
1: yeah i was seen uh i obviously went in talked to the triage nurse said hey this was going on and was admitted had ekgs and stuff done and explained talked to like the nurse and these are all people i work with i like dude what do you think's going on it's like well i think it's one of these things and I think yeah something's something's definitely something's definitely up because you, you never look like this. And um, um yeah, so we did a bunch of EKGs, blood work, did my vitals, my vitals were all abnormal.
0: And did they find anything?
1: Um not at the time. Um like I know like I was incredibly I was really hypertensive, my blood pressure was out quite a bit, it was tachycardic. Um, but, um, uh, doctor didn't seem to, didn't seem to see anything in my blood work or my EKGs. And so just said, maybe it's just esophageal spasms and set me on my way.
0: And did the symptoms persist after that?
1: Yeah, they never, they never quite resolved. They would calm down. Um, but they, uh, they did persist and anytime on any exertion or lying on my back, things would exacerbate, um, like I'd get more short of breath, I, I can, again, develop more chest pain. Um, the fatigue persisted, well, still persists, but like I would be pretty well um, bedridden some days, no energy to get up and do anything. Um, and which is was entirely new. It was like a complete shift because uh, I used to be up doing stuff were regularly used to being really good shape and whatnot, but so it was a it was a drastic change.
0: And how many healthcare providers did you consult about these symptoms?
1: Uh, well, I was admitted into the emergency room three times over the course of summer. Um, there was no nothing was ultimately found um, uh, aside from having abnormal vitals and just the symptoms that I presented with. Um, the second physician that I saw in the ER kind of just. Shrugged and said, "Man, I don't know what's going on. You're obviously in distress. Something's something's up, but we can't pinpoint anything." Um, and the third doc I saw, which would have been probably late July, uh, he said, "I think I think this warrants further investigation. Like, we need to we should order some more cardiac tests, like, echocardiogram, and you should follow up with your family doc. Get a cardiac MRI and get a stress test and see if we can pin down what's going on. Like, I don't I don't know for sure." But like just on the way you're presenting and like what you're telling us, and your vitals, like there's something, there's something here, there's something wrong. So we need to look into it. Uh, and he uh, he actually gave me like a shot of toradol, which is a uh, strong in- anti-inflammatory, which took the edge off for maybe a couple hours. But again, the symptoms persist. I had discussions with my family physician, who uh, was often very dismissive and abrasive about. Um, my concerns, um, and I've had, uh, in, in like a yearly follow-up that I had with WCB cause we have a follow-up every year where they, uh, physician comes in and talks to you and it's like, Hey, how's your PTSD going? What are the symptoms you're having? And we talked about that. And then we talked about this and he's like, yeah, based on your history and like kind of the cycle of symptoms, like, like we should, there's something going on here and we should look into it. Did um, you, oh,
0: sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Did you ask any of these physicians uh, if there could be a link with the COVID-19 vaccine?
1: I don't think I ever asked if there was a link, but like when they asked, when did this start? um, I told them like, I didn't feel good after getting the vaccine and it hasn't let up since. Um, But I don't think we ever like, like specifically honed in. Like I suspected it, but do I know for sure? Absolutely not.
0: So they couldn't find anything objectively wrong to explain your symptoms, and they knew that they had started within close proximity to you taking the COVID-19 vaccine. Do you know if any of them filed an adverse event following immunization form?
1: Uh, No, no, there was no discussion of that whatsoever.
0: So they didn't ask you any more questions about that or indicate that they were concerned?
1: No, not whatsoever.
0: How did they respond when you mentioned that it was in relation to the vaccine?
1: I wasn't really discussed or was just kind of glazed over. Um, Like some of the nurses expressed more concern, like when they asked me. And it's like when like and like I had colleagues like other paramedic colleagues who said like who expressed their concern just with the timing and kind of some of the things that they had seen on calls that they had been discussing with me as well.
0: And have you shared your concerns about a link between your symptoms and the vaccine with others?
1: Yeah, um, I've spoken to numerous family and friends and colleagues. You get And you get a mixed bag of the way people react. Um, I've had people call me an anti-vaxxer, far-right conspiracy theorist, and every other nasty thing under the sun. Um, but then I've had others who've come to me and said, um, this is what happened to me. This is what my family members experienced. I've had med, uh, like medic colleagues come to me and say like, hey man, we were talking about what happened to you, what might've happened to you in the, the hallway. And like like the other crew that was there was, like, was talking about like how they had like three kids who had like myocarditis and POTS and stuff come in, and like coming in through 911. We don't see kids in EMS very often. And so like that was concerning. Um, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a mix. Like I've had friends who have since abruptly stopped talking to me whatsoever. Um, and I've been approached and like, I've talked about this publicly and my concerns and some of the, and I've talked about some of the problems that we're having in EMS right now. Um, and I've had people like from across the country thank me for speaking about these things. Uh, recently, <laughs> I had somebody reach out and said, like, I like you and I have never met, but like. Like, I know who you are because you helped someone in my family on a 911 call, and they still talk about you years later. Like, thank you for doing this. Thank you for talking. Um, thank you for your service, and I'm sorry well, for what you're going through.
0: So you had concerns that these might be related to the vaccine. Your first dose, did you end up taking the second dose? No, I did not. And in October 2021, when Nova Scotia implemented the vaccine passport policy and several mandates, um, how did this impact your life?
1: Well, because I'm not vaccinated enough. Um, I was banned from restaurants. Um, I wasn't allowed to access some different services, couldn't go to the gym. Not that I was feeling well enough to do so anyway. Um, when I went in to uh, pick up like the results from my echocardiogram and copies of my blood work and EKGs from the hospital, I was stopped at the door and said, you can't come in. And it's like, I'm picking up blood work, man. I guess i got to go around the corner. And it's like, no, you need to be double vaccinated to come in here. And it was a back and forth throughout a good 20 minutes. He's explaining, it's like, I'm here because we're investigating, trying to determine if something has happened with results as a result of this. And we need, I need to get that paperwork so we can figure out what happened, if anything. Uh, and eventually they're like, just let him go in. He's just got to go around the corner. It's like 30 feet. Um and then like one of the one of the one of the worst things um is one of my best friends was diagnosed with cancer during the pandemic. And because I'm not I haven't taken the shot twice, I wasn't allowed to go see him when he was dying in the hospital and never got to say goodbye to one of my best friends. Because you're just you're not vaccinated enough, you're not allowed in here. And like as as many people know, the vaccine mandate for healthcare providers is still in effect. So even if I do get a clean bill of health and my PTSD is, you know, wiped clean and we're good to go, I'm still banned from going back to work. Not allowed to go.
0: Chet, do you have any final words about the impacts of the COVID-19 measures on your life?
1: Yeah, like it's it's had a significant impact not only on my mental health, but like my physical health, like associated with PTSD as well. And, like, you can see, like, just with the way EMS is right now in Nova Scotia, morale is plummeting every day. Um, since the start of, like, 2020, we have lost 331 paramedics from the workforce. That's one quarter of the paramedics who work for EHS. We've since hired some new people, but, like, they're, they, these are people who are fresh out of school like they don't have experience, like uh, even on my rotation, there's like four of us on my rotation that are either been put off on injury or PTSD and like there's like 60 years between the four of us and that's gone. Um, and You can't get that back. And it's it's infuriating and it's also detrimental to like the well-being of everybody in this province that like there's people like me and I'm not the only one who's in this situation who want to go back to work and who would like to help, and who would like to fix the problem as the EMS system is crumbling, but we're told no. Like I've even spoken to Michelle Thompson, and the the answer is that's the policy, we're sticking with the policy. And if you haven't seen the, um, what the medical exemptions are to get to opt out for healthcare providers is, you need to have either have blood clots, myocarditis or pericarditis, a stroke, or have an allergic reaction, all of which have to be as a result to the first shot. So you have no medical exemption. It's take it or else you're let go. Or if you have an adverse event, you're probably not gonna be working again anyway.
0: Thank you, that's all my questions.
1: Um.